0: This was really amazing, Chulu. This is such good work you're doing. And just how, what's the word, well put together. As I was listening, I was so in, intrigued to just keep listening and listening and listening and listening. Because your voice is so calm and it's so, uh, I don't know the word, but girl, girl this is really good congratulations now i i need to binge all the other episodes because i think i started from like 76 or something i need to start from one
1: this is really amazing stuff
0: Hello, beautiful. You are listening to episode 90 of the Africana Woman podcast. Shout out to CC, the host of Behind Closed Doors podcast. Thank you, girl, for that glowing review of the gift of a 100 stories. I appreciate you. Chulu is my name. I am a writer, personal brand consultant, entrepreneur, and mentor. This show is the home of African women's stories. We share ideas triumphs, challenges, and lessons from our perspective as women. Our library is a step to cementing our place in history. Her story, your story is powerful. Thank you so much for tuning in. Welcome to all the new listeners and welcome back family. Click the subscribe button to make sure you are always first to know when a new episode drops. We are nine conversations away from the official 100th episode Celebration. But can we talk about how significant this week is? We are six sleeps, as Kako would say, <laughs> six sleeps away from the first ever Africana Woman Wellness Retreat. Lady, ha. We are headed to the shores of Lake Kariba in Siavonga. We'll be staying at the stunning property called The Castle, which is surrounded on three sides by water, has a private beachfront, cascading green lawns, the perfect setting for a wellness retreat. Good food, good company. I am certainly excited for this. You can find out more about the retreat in the show notes. And then... Right after that, we are starting our rebirth course. This course is a game changer if you are looking to level up your personal or small business brand. For eight weeks, we will hone the BMCS framework, which is branding, marketing strategy, customer service, and social media. It is a live hands-on training delivered entirely online, which means you can attend wherever you are in the world. Now, the top three things I love about this course. One, the group coaching setting is a powerful learning environment. Two, you use yourself or your business as a case study. Three, the course content is a systematic buildup. So that means that by the time we're getting to the end of the course, you are ready to go out and implement it straight away. Definitely sign up for the Rebirth course and you can find out how in the show notes. Two huge milestones back to back. I am so proud of where we are going as the Africana woman community. Okay. Okay. Let's get into today's conversation. Putumila Nguenya, known fondly as Lili, is an Afro-feminist storyteller. She works in the mediums of film, social media, print magazines, and podcasts to elevate African content. She has worked in Zambia, Mozambique, Kenya, and South Africa. She currently writes, in Quasi Pro Flight magazine, Zambia and Zimbabwe, travel and leisure. In addition, she is the co founder of Soul Source Limited, the parent company of Restaurant Week Lusaka, Zambia's largest food, news, and restaurant support community. Putumila is the host of the podcast, Conversations with Lila B. And I'm very, very excited to welcome her to the Africana woman, Mike. Welcome,
1: Lili hi thanks so much for having me that was like quite an intro I was like wait yeah I have done that oh I do do that yes (laughs) we need to big
0: up our sisters I love it when I can tell the world what you know our sisters are doing out here and you know you're doing amazing things so that's something that I wanted to point out but how are you doing today
1: I'm good a little bit tired because I've you know just come from a long Friday at work but you know I've been looking forward to this this is like a little bit of my um, decompress yeah before I get into my um, Friday night rituals which include like making a nice meal for myself so yeah cool okay so
0: let's get into it what is your favorite childhood memory?
1: Oh, gosh, my favorite childhood memory. I'm scanning my brain right now. (laughs) Okay, one of my favorite childhood memories would have to do with, like, my late mom. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, she always just used to, like make sure that like she made our dresses for different occasions she made our birthday cakes and all that stuff for our birthday so like my favorite memories are just like her baking and when she used to make like our birthday cake when I was younger it's a chocolate cake that has like special ingredient well when you now google and I'm out of childhood not that special uncommon but coca-cola is part of the recipe oh I so. love
0: cola cake yeah
1: Yeah, so that was, like, my favorite thing growing up. I remember I once had a birthday at, like, the where Southern Sun is now, Mm -hmm. but it used to be called Ridgeway. I had a birthday party where I was so excited about my cake, and I was hoping that it was a Coca-Cola cake, that, like, when I was, like, wishing, doing my birthday wish, I was like, I wish it was a Coca-Cola cake. And then I accidentally knocked Coca-Cola that was next to me onto, like, half the cake. (laughs) My friends still tease me about it to this day. <laughs> well, you definitely made it a moist cake, so that's good. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, it was a big cake, so everybody got a slice. You know? Yeah.
0: Oh, that's a sweet memory. Uh, how many are you, how many siblings do you have?
1: I, okay. So, from my late mom and my dad, I have two siblings I have my younger sister and my younger brother. And then um my dad is remarried and I have my other siblings. So my sister, another sister and a brother. And yeah, like we're all sort of similar in our ages. Like my sister and I are like three months apart. And then like my younger brother... Is like a year away from our younger sister. My other sister's a year away from our other brother. So we're all like a little, a little gang of like age mates. <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. That's, you guys sound
0: like a really big group. I grew up where two of us and I always like, I'm amazed when people talk about big families because I can't even like imagine it. <laughs> all I know is like, you know, silence,
1: a little quiet, you know. So that's nice. Well, I mean, before that, uh, even when we were just three, my, br- my dad comes from a family of like 11 other siblings. Mm. So he's yeah. one of 12. So he literally has so many siblings. They had so many children. So wow. growing up, I had I was surrounded by cousins. I think I, I would actually be inaccurate if I tried to say how many cousins I had, but we should be somewhere around 40 yeah first cousins and then now everyone is older and everyone has kids so there's so many nieces and nephews as well so yeah I'm kind of used to that big family then on my mom's side it was more of a smaller family well she had a lot of siblings um like four other siblings I think there are five yeah in their family but um for us growing up it was just Normal to like sort of go between like my mom's side where maybe there's like less people, you know, less aunts and uncles and then be thrown into my dad's side where it was just like you're even trying to, they're trying to remember your name and you're trying to remember like how to call them, like how to call them big mama or big uncle. You're like, wait, is this small uncle or is this big uncle? I love it. So what is your heritage? I'm Debele, 100%. Both of my parents are from Lawayo in Zimbabwe. So I'm Zimbabwean and I was born in Zimbabwe as well, but in Harare. But my parents were already living here. So I I was born there, then my mom and I came back and I've spent my whole life living in Zambia. Um, I grew up here, went to school here. And only really lived in another country when I, you know, gra- had graduated, then started my journey on university, then post university working. So yeah, pretty much. I'm a I'm a very proud Zimbabwean, but I'm also like I love Zambia and it is home. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I think it's we don't often hear stories um, or people telling their stories about you know being a uh, third culture um, kids, you know, um, where your parents have another heritage or from another country, living are in another country. I don't know. Um, cause you said you're very proudly Zimbabwean, but, um, yeah, also very proud to live in Zambia. So do you consider yourself Zambian?
1: See, everyone always says I am, but I feel like if I say it, I'm <laughs> somehow like... Do I I against my other heritage? I would say I'm just I'm I'm half and half at this point. Yeah. But like the only reason I would lean to say that I'm through and through Zimbabwean is because like I speak Ndebele and I don't really speak a Zambian language. Mm. I did as a child a little bit, but then I was also like put off by people telling me like you're mispronouncing this, you can't say this. So like I more or less understand more than I speak in that way so sometimes also living Zambians are very like loving welcoming all those things but in like more recent years as an adult I have noticed a lot of like whether it's I go start a new job or I'm hanging out somewhere, people being like, hmm, what tribe are you? And I'm like, guys, it's 2022. Why are we still asking that question when we've had tribalism? When, you know, next door there's xenophobia going on. And I used to live in SA, so I've, like, experienced that as well. So, like, sometimes it's like, you know, I really do feel like this is my home. And then sometimes there's one or two people who just make you feel othered. Mm. And like we really just be like, Oh, but if you've been here, how come you can't speak this? Or how come you speak you sound like this? Or you know, just just little microaggressions that yeah. you know, don't take away from my love of Zambia. It's just, you know, it can be it just reminds you sometimes that you're like, Oh, as a third culture person, you're like, Where do I belong? Yeah. Because you know, I also can go back home. Yes, I speak Debele and I speak English, but even the way that I speak or whatever, like people will be like, oh, are you from here? You're not from here. So it's kind of like as a third culture kid, sometimes you're just kind of like floating in between. And I think that's also part of why, like, I'm a huge code switcher. Anyone who listens to whether it's my podcast or any other podcast I've been a guest on, they're like, she sounds American today. Wait, she sounds a little bit like South African. Hmm, she sounds very Zambian. I'm like sort of influenced by whoever I'm having a conversation with in terms of the way that my accent kind of changes. It's just something I learned to do to kind of adapt. Yeah, I,
0: I can totally relate with what you're saying in terms of code switching. And I get it all the time because people will say, well, you don't sound Zambian or, you know, you sound South African. Or, oh, and then, um, <clears throat> other times when I'm at work and I answer the phone, you know, and I answer very proper and they're like, is this Chulu? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, it's me. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so how do you define, um, afro-feminism?
1: So yeah that's a very interesting (laughs) question I can't even remember how I decided I was an afro-feminist I know I definitely like read something and the only reason I put afro there is because I am an African woman so I'm not an African-American woman Mm -hmm. I've lived in America but even when I stayed there very quickly I saw not that I expected it to not be this way but I very quickly saw the difference between like who I was and who they are. Like, obviously we have different cultures. We also have different struggles that we go through. And I don't, I, I yes, I'm a feminist at the base of it, right? But I also believe that like in feminism, my feminism is intersectional because it has to be inclusive of other people, whether that's the queer community, whether that's, you know, um, Indian communities uh, in South Africa, the colored community and their culture, because we are very different and Africa is not a monolith. So for me, it's important that I differentiate myself from what really started off as like white traditional feminism that deals mostly with like white women and their problems, which, yes, their problems are valid. And there's places where we all overlap whether like just as women, whether you are black, Asian, whatever, there are places we overlap in the workplace where maybe we're getting spoken over. We're not getting paid as much, but also even with the gender um, pay gap or not even the pay gap within gender, but like within us being women, that gap that also exists between a black woman's salary and a white woman's salary. Or, you know, if you are now an African woman working Somewhere else. Yes, there might be other predominantly black people, but how, how are you being paid or how are you being viewed? So I think for me, it's an important distinction to have. So yes, it's there in my Twitter bio. <laughs> and yeah, for me, feminism is, it's, it's so many things because it's so vast, but it's, it's about inclusivity and it's really about equality. And for me, equality is giving women access to their Human rights, so things that are even happening across the globe, like um, in America with Roe versus v. Wade, like abortion rights, that's something that's important to me, and that's something that obviously will affect and impact me. And the fact that men, and who are, majority of men, are the ones behind these policies and making these laws and saying, oh, no, 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 women shouldn't have body autonomy. Let's tell them that if they have an abortion, that they're now murderers and that they can go to prison. If they have a miscarriage, they can now, you know, be charged with a crime and go to prison. I'm just like, whoa, what world are we living in where these are even conversations we have to have? Because we still have so much more to fight and so much more to reckon with and deal with that for me, like, it is important that, like, all those issues, even issues to do with the LGBTQIA community. I I strongly, like, embrace that community. I'm a part of that community. I just want everyone to have the same freedoms, everyone to have access to, you know, the best medical care, everyone to be able to just live life, and on on life's terms and on their terms, you know. I don't feel like our rights, I feel like our rights are being infringed upon. So it's important for me as a feminist to, you know, fight for all of these different things, especially even working in digital marketing, like and working in that space of social media. I want there to be a lot of like laws and policies put in place that are against things like um revenge porn, cyberbullying. And those are things that specifically also are always targeted at Black women. Like Black women have to deal with so much more of that in comparison to their counterparts. So that's that's really why I believe in what I believe in and why I call myself an Afrofeminist. Okay, you said a lot in there. And I think a
0: lot of times when people think about uh, a feminist, they think, oh, they hate men, (laughs) You know, you have that when you openly say that you're a feminist. But I feel in so many ways, so many women are feminists. They just haven't, um, let's say, embraced, you know, the label or the title um, as be it. But (laughs) what would you say to people who believe that feminists
1: hate men? Okay, so for me, I don't hate men, but men are trash. And if you want to come and argue with me, maybe actually research what the hashtag men are trash is about and why it exists before you decide that you want to be all, not all men. That's not the statement that's being made by that statement. And I don't have the time to actually explain or baby people, you know? So in my eyes, uh, I just think that I remember being young and feeling like, oh, I don't like feminism. All I ever read in books was like, and there were, they were also inaccurate historical books, but I just remember thinking it was like burning bras and a bunch of white women. And I was like, okay, like, how does this, I don't know if I'm that because I was like, Hmm, am I? And I've become more radical in my feminism or more accepting of the fact that I'm a feminist just because of situations that I've gone through and things that I've experienced in life, whether that's sexual harassment in the workplace, whether that is, um, you know, being a sexual assault survivor, like just also just walking around in the skin and in this body that I'm in, it's undeniable that I am a woman. I present as a woman. I am a woman, I identify as a woman. I go by she, her. So like, I see how our rights are not taken seriously, how we are not protected, how we are disrespected and disregarded and discarded. So I can't sit there and go, oh no, I don't wanna be a feminist because it's uncomfortable, it's difficult. So, you know, I strongly just like believe in feminism and what it is that we're trying to achieve with feminism. And by we, I mean the community that I belong to. I can't speak for other feminist communities that might be doing whatever it is that they're doing. But I also support radical feminism. And I'm like slowly becoming a radical feminist because I'm just like, it's enough. Like I've had it up to (laughs) up to here, so to say.
0: Listen, I was invited, um, on Women's Day to go and speak, um, from the point of view as of a woman, right? On, on radio. And what, it was so shocking for me how the whole conversation suddenly just became an attack on women and i was like wait a moment i thought today we are celebrating women what what just happened you know it was a conversation because i mean i was talking about like you, you know you and you just mentioned let's say when you have um when someone if someone decides to have an abortion or if someone a woman just decides that she's not going to have children then it became like this whole big issue Oh God! Said go out and multiply. How dare you think that you can? <laughs> I was like, I don't I'd like. I can't. I can't have conversations like this. How do you say this is a day to celebrate women? And you spend a good two hours attacking
1: a woman. It, it was insane. See, for me, it's it's similar to what happens on Twitter Spaces. People want to just makeshift an idea and say oh because it's this holiday let's invite a woman on or let's give let's give a woman a platform mm-hmm. and they're not prepared and nor do they understand the nuances of the topic they're not well researched so, because most of the time you'll find a lot of men are on the same panel or they're the ones hosting and even when there is a woman who's hosting it's not a woman who is neutral or who is trying to be like a journalist per se in that moment it's and yes you're entitled to have your own opinion so please bring up god we're not against god or whatever whether you're christian or not i don't believe that anyone is just out here being like oh no like it's so wrong that you're talking about god i feel like godly people are the people who are a bit more like no why don't you believe but that's a whole other conversation. But I just think that people want to bring up things like either God said multiply or, but you're a woman and you have all these, these parts that are meant to, you know, make a baby. It's like, okay, I have them, but I can also make a choice. I also have my own will and my own autonomy enough to say that like, that's not a direction I want to go into because also if we really look at our society, and like our culture, there's a lot of pressure to get married, a lot of pressure to have babies. A lot of these these cis, these heterosis norms that exist that are placed upon you, whether it be by the church, by society, by your family, there are all these expectations. But this is why also a lot of people are out here getting married, getting divorced quickly. Not that divorce is a bad thing. Things happen. It's not something to be ashamed of. But also having children, not being able to, whether it's financially or even emotionally support them, or being forced into because they got pregnant and their family is anti-abortion and maybe they're young and they ran to their family to tell them people are saying, keep the baby. And then you're resentful of your child. You don't show any emotion or affection to your child like how are you supposed to raise a human being who's going to be like a fully formed well developed person if you you know don't actually want that role or you can't actually do it at that specific time so i think we do need to be more conscious of the fact that yes, we're all different and we can all accept different things about each other, but it's not a, let's slam all the feminists and why do you think this way? It's like, it's okay that we think this way. No one is forcing you. I don't walk around to everybody in my office or wherever I go going, join feminism. Do you know where you're going wrong? You're not a feminist. Like what? Uh, but you know what really,
0: The what really is like, Blows my mind is just that the fact that it's okay for men to abdicate, you know, being a parent to a child, but yet you're still going to force the woman to, you know, take the child to full term, raise that child for however many years, but it's okay for you to just sit and walk away, go and, you know, live your merry life. But you like it doesn't make sense yeah. to me. But anyway, okay, let's move on. Um, (laughs) like, I feel like when you were talking, it just reminded me of that conversation and I'm like right back there and just thinking, are these people crazy? But anyway, um, I guess, you know, even in the, you know, what you were just talking about, you being in, I think it's, it speaks to, you know, mental health and how as women, we are not given the space to really foster our, you know, a healthy mental, you know, being, because there's so many things that are coming against us, whether it's those societal pressures, whether it's, you know, our religion or beliefs, um, our family. And then this whole um, pressure of shame in itself, because it's, don't shame the family or oh, you did this or oh, that, that will shame us. Like, you know what I mean? Um, and I just wanted to find out from you in terms of what has your experience been like with
1: um, with mental health. Oh, that's like a long <laughs> a long answer. I mean, I would say my journey with mental health, well, actually, like taking care of my mental health, started quite late in like my mid twenties because. I just, like, I remember turning 25 and sitting on in my flat in Cape Town and just having, like, an emotional breakdown or whatever, if you want to call it a quarter-life crisis. I was depressed and out-of-work actress. Like, things were not going my way. I felt suicidal. But that was not the first time I felt those things, but it was the first time in a long time. And I just remember, like, calling my parents and being like, I think I need help. And, you know, they put me on a plane, I went uh, to Joburg, I started doing, like, some therapy and stuff. But, like, really, for me, I think there's a lot of childhood trauma, which is the part of why I struggle with my mental health. Like, as much as, yes, I had this upbringing that was financially and in many ways comfortable, I also, you know, my mother's passing was a traumatic event. It was a sudden one. It wasn't something that where she was sick for a long period of time. Um, When I was, you know, about maybe 14, 15, I started having like these weird nightmares or dreams, which now like uncovered this whole memory that I had like completely blocked out of being molested as a child. And that was by another woman. Um, by a female relative. So there was that that also unlocked in me, my mom dying suddenly. And then like, you know, I go off to university and I'm like, okay, gonna strike out on my own. This is what you do. You become independent, you study. Then, you know, back in the day, like that thing of, oh, by the time I, when I graduate, I'll get my first job. And then I'll like buy my my first house. Like, I don't even... The economy was also crashing when I was in university. So the fact that I was delusional enough to think I'd buy a house, that's a whole other thing. But yeah, I was in university and then also experienced sexual assault there. So there was just so much that I didn't deal with and I didn't report that. And, you know, I go back and forth some days where I'm like, could have, should have, would have. But at the same time, I did what I, what I felt at the time was just best for me whether or not that was to retreat, shut down. But in the long run, all of these things like are held within your body. Like there's a great book that's called The Body Remembers and it's about trauma. And it really speaks to the fact that you can just have so much inside your body that's just like waiting to get out. Like I developed things like anxiety. Like I can be a very overly anxious person. I'm a person who worries. I'm a person who like part of the reason I keep time and I'm always on time or a little bit early, it's elements of control. Like I think the other day I even tweeted saying sometimes like being controlling is a trauma response because you just want to be in control of whatever it is that you can be in control of. So, I mean, my journey with therapy has been um, a, a beautiful one. I remember first time going to therapy I wasn't really as open as I could have been but also I got medicated very quickly because like oh no you have depression duh. then sort of decided not to take that medication not to see that therapist Then I was like you know what I'm going to figure this out on my own went sort of holistic and whatnot that worked for a period of time but I still wasn't dealing well I didn't have the toolbox or the toolkit to cope with my triggers, my trauma, like to identify why I feel this way. Like, why are my shoulders so tense in certain situations? Or why do I just, I'm always a bit achy. Why am I always achy? What is this physical feeling? So, you know, um, saw another therapist I've seen maybe like I have a new therapist now, but I've definitely, my last two therapists were people who really just like helped me unpack and open up and unpack all these things that have happened to me and made me realize that like part of why I also am the person who I am is because of my upbringing, like things like having to parent other children because, you know, another parent has died, but you're only 10 years old. So you step into the parental role. I tend to be a nurturer. Even my friends will speak to it. Like, but the problem with that is I overdo it. It's not natural nurturing. It becomes I don't have my boundaries and you don't have boundaries either because I never set them for you. So now you can call me at 3 a.m. and be like, I'm stuck here. And I'm not even going to be like, but how did you get there? Why didn't you have a plan? I'm just going to be like, okay, I'm coming to get you. Or I need to borrow this. I'll be like, okay. I will literally drop everything and like go and help someone else. Or at least I used to be more like that. I'm trying to change. And part of that is also, as my therapist said to me the other day, is, You can set boundaries for other people, but what boundaries are you setting for yourself? So if I say Saturday, I have work until 12, I'm going to go and do my hair. After doing my hair, I'm going to go watch a movie on my own. And then I'm going home. There should be no point in which somebody calls and I divert or go off my path of my plan. Because you know what? At the end of the day, we are all adults and people will figure things out for themselves. Sometimes people end up just relying on you because they know oh, you're going to save me. That's what, you know, they've come to expect. They always know like, oh, if I call this one, they always have time for me. If I call them, they'll always take care of me. But at the end of the day, you also have to start recognizing like who in your friendship group or your family has ever, is, is capable of doing that for you, you know? Because it's not saying only do things to get things back, but it's just saying like, sometimes examine relationships and be like, is this a give and take? Is it just a take, take, take? Like how is this relationship dynamic? So I think those are some of the things I've been learning with my mental health journey and my struggles with uh, depression, you know, suicidality. Those are just things that unfortunately I struggle with and, you know, other people might not understand it, might never have felt those, those heavy feelings or those Emotions, or felt like they just want to stay in bed all day. But, you know, it's it's about seeking help for me is important. And then also having a routine. So I already know, like, let's say it's the weekend. If I get, get up out of bed on Sunday and I don't make my bed, I'm already going down into a spiral. Or if I just don't do certain things that I say I'm going to do or keep up with, whether it's yoga, meditation, I can already, you know, you start feeling like, oh, but I'm fine. I didn't. It's okay to skip it today or whatever. But it all sort of eventually adds up. It's a snowball effect.
0: Yeah. Um, I think with your experience with um, medication, um, I think a lot of times I'm, I'm very happy that right now a lot of people are opening up to the conversation around you know having therapy, going to um, you know, speak to somebody, um, about what's going on. But I think, um, we don't really dive even deeper and, you know, have these conversations to say that, you know, there is a situation, there are some situations where you would need to be medicated, um, because there is some sort of imbalance in your brain. Um, But I don't know if you could just speak a little bit more to that. And I mean, from the people that I know that have, you know, have had to um, be put on medication, at some point, they did feel like they needed to get off the medication, just like you said, and then you went holistic. Um, But anyway, I just wanted to get a little more information from you about that.
1: So I went holistic at that period of time. That's not to say I haven't been on antidepressants since then, because I am a believer in if there's brain chemistry things and also if you are thoroughly thoroughly you know like examined and people cuz my my issue with the first therapist that I saw or should I say psychiatrist because those are the ones that actually prescribe the medication is it was almost like immediate of a oh let's give you something And, of course, they also have a job. They also have products or pharmaceutical things to push, right? They have to also make their sales or whatever it is sometimes. But I do believe that, like, you know, through proper counseling and evaluation and things like that, then you can come to terms with, okay, is medication something for this person that they need? You know, because at that point, let's say – I don't even know how many sessions later, but like if you've been doing your sort of therapy homework that you get given, you're trying to use all of these tools, but certain things are still there and certain things are still more prominent or loud in your mind or in your heart or whatever, then, you know, you might need medication. But even with medication, it's about, okay, how are we starting off people? Don't just give someone something, the strength of a horse horse tranquilizer you know, you, you, you've you got to sort of start the dosages correctly so that you don't have adverse effects. Unfortunately, you know, not everyone might get the the right dose. Not everyone might be seeing the right specialist or, or psychiatrist. In that regard, I don't really have recommendations. I will stay out of that because, you know, your personal health, it's it's also up to you. I feel like it's very hard for ourselves. We're not used to advocating because you just ever since you were young, you were told the doctor knows best. So the doctor knows. So even like as black men and women, it's just like, Oh, okay. Well, they said I should take this. I should. The same way when a woman is giving birth in a hospital and says there's something wrong or something doesn't feel right. She's not listened to. And people are like, no, no, no. It's just because it's your first baby. And then sometimes those women don't make it out alive, you know, and it's because of those, those little things. So I believe in having, someone in your family or in your close circle also help you to navigate that and be an advocate for you, but also you have to advocate for yourself. Like, Unless you are diagnosed with something where your mental capacity is severely diminished to make choices for yourself, I do feel like sometimes you can kind of judge and see, and even your gut will tell you if something is working for you or something is right for you or not. Depending also if you're you know if you're open and willing you know if you're in denial about things, then that's also not going to help
0: Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I know something that you also advocate for is sexual reproductive health, and um girl, there's a lot of people who don't look down there, <laughs> so <laughs> there's a lot of help that
1: needs to go out. <laughs> But tell us a little bit more about that. I used to be one of those people, though, who didn't, I didn't know my own body. I didn't understand it. I was ashamed about it. I, you know, people were always just like, oh, your period is a dirty secret. Don't tell people. Now, like, I live tweet my period. I'll be like, oh, day one. It is kicking my butt. This is what's happening. These are the symptoms. Oh, my gosh. Why do I always get, like, a fake flu, like, Five days before. Like, I talk about these things because, like, the more you talk about it, the more, like, you see other women interacting with you going, Oh my gosh, I thought I was the only weird one who, like, gets flu symptoms for three days. And then when my period hits, the flu goes away. And I'm like, Wait, so that wasn't flu or that wasn't a cold? Like, what's happening? Like, sometimes even just using, like, the period app that I use. Because for me specifically, I do love talking about, like, ending period poverty and all those things. I mean, I believe in abortion. I believe in safe sex, all those other things as well. But like my passion lies in the subject of (laughs) periods and menstruation. Because I just think like I look at my app sometimes and I'm like, wait, so out of these like 200 symptoms, these are things I could feel on any given day. Or sometimes it's like a mashup and a combo. And I'm like, we go through the most as women. Like what? All because I didn't procreate? Really? (laughs) This is, this is your way of punishing me, uterus. (laughs) So yeah, I just think, um, for me, it's something that I'm passionate about also because we, we know these stories, unfortunately, because they are, you know, talked about even on international platforms. But also I'm sure either you know someone in your family or someone in your neighborhood where they're not going to school five or three to five days out of the month because they can't afford something like a sanitary pad. They don't have access to to any of that. And therefore, they're staying at home because if they go to school, what are they going to do? So even for us, the fact that, you know, yes, there's so many wonderful organizations going in and teaching people how to make reusable ones. There's people donating. There's people saying, oh, let's do this. But like for me, it's like, let's Take the tax, first of all, off of these horror, these these things that we need. It's a basic human rights, once again. So it comes down to feminism. It's a basic right that we don't have. We should have access to pads, tampons, whatever, should be free because it's not like we all chose uh, to be women, right? <laughs> like we were born then, even our parents didn't really have much of a say, we are women, and this thing happens to us. Once a month, this is literally, it's not a medical condition even, it's a state of being. So how come we don't get, you can put free condoms, you can have condom dispensers in schools, but you don't have that for sanitary napkins, you don't have that for tampons or whatever the person is more comfortable using. I think that's really egregious on the part of like our society globally, but also just it's, it's not helping anyone because, you know, that's why the girl child falls behind at school and, you know, doesn't get as far as the boy child, aside from all the other possible cultural and home things that are going on that are possible barriers for her, you know, even graduating and finishing high school. But yeah, so that's why it's important to me. Ah, That's
0: so interesting, but I want to pick up on uh, what you said, um, a little earlier, um, you know, you were talking about how you, you know, you felt you weren't one of the people that, I mean, me too, like to look down there when I got my appearance, I was like, Oh my God, how could this happen to me? (laughs) This curse, (laughs) it was just like the worst, but you know, like just the way the connotations on, um, period and just how you as a woman view your body, Um, so many times there's so many messages coming to us to tell us that tell us to not like our body but at the end of the day we are never going to look like the you know uh, whatever is considered I don't know beautiful in our time of society. Um, I was having um, a conversation with another guest and she said that I think it's like 8% of the population actually look like, and this is across the globe, actually look like what is considered beautiful at any specific time. And I'm like, mm. okay, so then that's like 92% of us who will never look like that. But we are always being told, no, you have to achieve a certain uh, a certain look, uh, a certain complexion, certain hair texture. Like there's just no winning with any part of your body. So now, you know, you have all of this to deal with, the top part. But then at the bottom, you know, with your vagina, you don't even go and look down there. You don't know what's happening. You don't know how to keep it clean. Like you don't know that it's it cleans itself. You, you know what I mean? There's so many things that we're just never taught. And it's so... um it's so sad. It's so sad. Like it took me such a long time to really just get comfortable with, okay, this is who I am. And, and I just have to love me. You know what I mean? And I feel like I'm still on this journey of like discovering all the little different parts of my body and saying, oh, then that does this or that does that. Um, and then when it came to menstruation, I had the worst, uh, cramps ever. The one that takes you out, like it takes you out for like a day, two days, you know what I mean? And this is every single month. Like I'm going like guaranteed work. I will not work for at least two days, three days, every single month because of this thing that is just apparently just a natural, normal thing that's happening in my life. You know what I mean? And it's just, ugh. so I personally, I got to a point where I had to, um, I had to decide to take a contraception. So as that is regulated, but for a long time, I didn't want to do contraceptions because anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a holistic type of person,
1: <laughs>
0: but I just got to that point of just frustration where I had to do it and then. So I've been living a pain-free life, I think, for the last three years. And it's been wonderful. But at the same time, sometimes I get the feeling that there are some other emotions that have been suppressed, though, in a certain way. Um, So I'm not too sure whether I'm, like, living my whole life, if
1: that makes sense. It totally makes sense. Um, The one thing I do want to say is that medically... And more recently, people are talking about how your period is actually not supposed to be severely painful. So if Mm -hmm. it is, you probably want to make sure you Uh get a thorough checkup to make sure. Like for me, I got put on birth control early on in my teens because I had extremely painful periods. But also I went to go see a very specific doctor Mm -hmm. who also discovered that I had cysts. Uh So that is part of why I was having Mm -hmm. painful periods. Yeah, it wasn't just like, oh, this is the norm, because I would also bleed like for five to seven days, like extreme, all of those things. So, of course, I had to, you know, birth control was one way of sort of managing and controlling that. Then it was just that was a long journey. So, I do feel like it's important for anyone who's listening, like, make sure that you're also just going and getting checked up. And also, again, like what we're saying, we were not brave enough to necessarily look down there for the longest time. But if you can't even look down there and if you can't even go and see a doctor, let's be aware that women in Zambia, I think the statistic has become less or maybe, no, might have become, the age might have become less younger. But at one point, it was by the age of 21. Um, women are getting, Zambian women are getting cervical cancer. Oh, wow. So, yeah. And then most people are like, oh, I only went to my OBGYN or had that kind of checkup at like Mm -hmm. 25. So like, obviously it's different for different people, but in Zambia we do have a high rate of cervical cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not quite sure on the current age and situation. What I've mentioned is like from a study from possibly 2015, Mm -hmm. The last time I kind of read up on it. So I do advise like even when you are young, just start going regularly and don't miss an appointment. Like sometimes I organize appointments with like the girls and we go look out even on like your social media platforms. Some of these hospitals do like when it's women's month. Um, They do discounted rates. Now we have an amazing um, insurance like NEMA where you can actually access places like Marie Stopes. I don't work for them. I'm just saying this is not a plug for them, but I'm just saying you can actually go and access your contraceptives. You can go and get checked out. So I think those are very important steps that obviously not everyone has accessed. To these things, but now hopefully more people will have access and get to learn more about their body. but yeah, like what you said, we were sort of every your period is something in most I would say of our sort of African cultures it's a hush hush topic um, there's cultural things where with certain people with certain cultures you're not supposed to be around men during that time um there's you know it's considered like dirty you have to like bath at a like using a different whatever from other people there's all these different like old wives tales and myths and things that we all probably kind of if you're in my age bracket grew up with where that's kind of how you were taught to see it thankfully for me I also had a lot of like White friends were in their household. It was normal. And then they're like moms, like I would just ask questions and they would just talk to me about whether it was sex, periods, whatever it was. So I was a bit more fortunate that like, even if I had a little bit of like weird old school stuff coming from my aunts where I was, I was also very always questioning. So I never just believe anything anyone tells me. I'm like, "Hmm, let me research, let me investigate. (laughs) And I put on my little detective hat and I'm like, okay, let me speak to this person, this person, a doctor, a scientist, or this because I need different opinions in order to help me formulate my own or to even to maybe be like, okay, maybe everyone is actually wrong. Let me trust my own experience. So I think, you know. I'm fortunate that in, in spirit, I've always been a bit of a rebel and a questioner. So I think that's why I've been able to advocate for myself when it comes to my sexual reproductive health, where I've been able to make certain choices for myself and not feel bad about them or not feel guilty and not feel ashamed about them.
0: So, yeah, you just actually reminded me. So When I did have the the checkup, the other things that I had to consider is that I was diagnosed with endometriosis. And um, I was was also getting anemia because of the excessive bleeding. So it, you know, my HGB went down to seven. I think the normal is around 12, like, or 14. Yeah. No, it's 14. And it went down to seven. And, like, when I went to the hospital, they were like, girl, you're still standing? Like, sis... (laughs) So, you know, it was like actually a very urgent thing that I needed to do to get the, um, to get that, uh, the contraception to, to just balance everything out. So again, like Neely is saying, you know, you have to one, listen to your body. Cause I think a lot of times we want to be the strong person, like your body is telling you like, child, go to the hospital, <laughs> go and check yourself, you know, go and see somebody or, you know, talk to somebody at the very least. And you know, we're just like, oh no, it's fine. It's just a little thing, you know, but take it seriously. Like the only person who can advocate for your health really should be you. Like you're the one who is responsible for that and just take it more. Yeah. So take it seriously. Don't wait till you're at seven HGB like me. <laughs> yeah okay um it has been so good having a conversation with you i think my final question um would be what would your advice be to any woman out there who is is struggling with i guess advocating for themselves yeah be it their mental health or their um or, you know, their sexual reproductive health.
1: Hmm. My favorite thing to say is always start, but oh, that's a difficult one because advocating for yourself isn't that easy. I think maybe you have to look at like, are you a person who's able to even say no to a friend or a family member? Are you a person who's able to like say no, mean it and stand by it? Because another thing that as women we also struggle with or as people is we don't realize no is a complete sentence. I don't need to say I'm not joining you for dinner because no, because XYZ XYZ, No, you can just say, no, would you like to come and watch a movie with me? No, that can also end the conversation. So I think it's also about like developing that kind of communication skill in your personal life. But I feel like if you are a person who doesn't know how to advocate, try and if you have a friend who, you know, who maybe goes and gets their cervical cancer or their breast cancer, Um, examination regularly or who is a little bit less shy about these things maybe you can just ask them like hey would you mind helping me to like book this appointment and to follow through by going to it can you come with me you know like I said sometimes we gather as a group of girls just so that we don't miss out on a very important appointment because it's like yeah sometimes we'll be like ah you know I feel fine everything's fine I did it nine months ago or six months ago, I don't need to go again. Or I've done, I did it last year. Let me skip one year. No. So I think it's important to also have that support system around you or at least one person who can be the other person who's advocating for you. So that could be whether it's your brother, your husband, your sister, your cousin, whoever it is, that other person. And then I think, you know, slowly but surely, but don't make it a a habit where you only rely on them. Even they should realize slowly but surely you should be able to now go and do these things on your own or speak up for yourself, you know it's it's more of a yeah they're going to hold your hand in the beginning the same way your, your parents would when you're learning how to walk so that you don't like hit the floor sideways but at some point you're also going to be stable enough and you have to trust yourself and you're you know you, the same way your parents would trust you and let go of your hand your people who are supporting you can also let go and say hey I think you got this so I think that would be my advice. Love it, love it, love it. Okay,
0: so Lily, please tell us, how do people find you? How can we support you?
1: What are you working on? Yeah. Okay, um, well, you can follow my um, podcast. So that's Conversations with Lila B on uh, Facebook. So Lila B is L-E-E-L-A-B-E-E. Um And then on Instagram, it's at Conversations with Leela B. On Twitter, it's at C-O-N-V-O-S, Convos, W, and then Leela B. So Convos W, Leela B on Twitter. Yeah, on Twitter, my personal handle is Leela B underscore. So you can also follow me there. Just be warned, you know, I speak my mind. I'm not here to fight with you. I'm not here to, to debate men are trash. Just, you know, namaste, namaste. And um yeah, what am I working on? Just more episodes of my podcast. I had been on a bit of a hiatus last year needed a bit of a mental health break so yeah I've got some new episodes coming out there might be some like solo episodes I've never done that before we'll see if you guys like it but yeah just follow the podcast and if you find me on Instagram you can click on my link tree it will lead you to all the platforms where my podcast is played which is basically most streaming platforms so it's an anchor podcast but it's on Apple it's on Spotify it's on Stitcher yeah there you go fantastic thank you so much for sharing
0: and just giving us so much wisdom I've enjoyed this conversation
1: thank you thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure and it's been an honor it's very very lovely to speak to you you made it so easy
0: I love when a guest is willing to go there My biggest takeaway is how your health is your responsibility. You know that I talk about being intentional about nourishing your mind, your body, and your spirit. More often than not, we ignore the signs to attend to our health, be it your mental health, a physical ailment, or a leaking spirit. Instead of being preventative, like going for regular checkups for cervical cancer, breast cancer, you know, such things, we often find ourselves being reactive when it's too late. Now, I love what Lily said about going as a group of friends for annual checkups, you know, that accountability group, that's amazing. Literally call your friends up right now and set it up. So I am challenging you today to stop playing offensive when it comes to your health. Instead, be proactive about being healthy and whole. If it means going on a wellness retreat, do it. If you need to go for a physical checkup, do it. If you need to carve out time, which is for you to be alone with your creator, sis, do it. At Africana Woman, we give our guests their roses right now. Please find Lily on Instagram at Conversations with Lila B. Tell her you heard her on the Africana Woman podcast. Take a screenshot of this episode and tag us. We want to keep the conversation going. The mission of Africana Woman has always been to tell more African women's stories. One of the ways that we are doing this is by helping you start your own podcast. If you have a burning idea and you are interested in launching a podcast, but you don't know where to start, contact us at africanawomen@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Your story is important. Now, my playground is Instagram. Find me at True by Design. Tag me, tell your friends about the Africana Woman podcast. And again, leave a review, especially on Apple Podcasts, because that helps us spread the word about the show to more African sisters out there. So talk to you soon. This has been a production of Africana Woman Media.